Today, uh, today we're continuing on in a, in a series that my friend Bo, she started last week for us called Hearing God in the Wilderness. And I think it's a really important series for us for two distinct reasons. Um, first, I think it's important because we have a lot of questions around hearing God. How do we hear God? What's it like to hear from God? In fact, um, just last weekend, I was in Spokane, Washington. My, uh, my youngest daughter was graduating from high school. We're kind of wrapping up that season there and bringing her back to us in Portland. And I got a chance to hang out with my mom and dad. And my mom was telling me about my nephew, who's actually her great grandson. They hang out together a lot. And she was telling me this story. He's four years old. And he came to her like a week ago, two weeks ago. And he said, hey, Gigi, that's what he calls her. He said, hey, Gigi, um, do you ever hear from God? And she said, well, yeah, I do. And he goes, well, tell me about it. What's that like? And so she begins to describe to a four-year-old what it's like to discern the voice of God in a person's life, like how she hears from God. And so he kind of, she explains some things and then it gets kind of quiet for a little bit. And a little while later, he makes this deep raspy voice and he says, he starts talking about the depths of the ocean and why they were created. And she looks at him and he goes, oh, Gigi, that's, that's not God, that's just me. And as, and as funny as it is, as humorous as it is, it's, it's interesting because as she told me this, I thought, four years old, and he's already asking questions about hearing from God. And, and I really kind of wonder, do we ever get our questions answered as it relates to hearing from God? Um, the, the comedian Lily Tomlin years ago, she said this. She said, why is it that when we speak with God, it's called prayer, but when God speaks to us, we call it crazy? Right? I mean, so it's something like that. When, when I say to you very comfortably, you know, I feel like God's moving in this way or I talk about God speaking to me, it just sort of flows off of my, my lips. But think about when you hear somebody else say that, you sort of wonder sometimes, what do you mean when you say, like, how audible are the voices in your head and should we call the authorities? That's sometimes how we feel when people say, I heard from God on these things. And so because of that, I think there's a need for some clarity around what it means to hear from God. Like, like what do we hear? When God speaks, what are the kinds of things we hear from God? Or, or why do we hear from God? Is there a reason that he's speaking to us? Or how do we actually listen and discern his voice? So, so those are some of the things we want to answer in this series. And then secondly, I think this series is important because of the other significant word in the title, and that's that word wilderness. Um, you know, a lot of our life is sort of littered with these wilderness wanderings, if you will, right? Uh, moments when the plot changes or things don't turn out as expected and suddenly we're living a life that we didn't see coming, like things have happened and we start to wonder like how, how did we get here or is this going to be the rest of my life? In fact, our human sensibilities often tell us this. Oftentimes when we enter into seasons where it seems like a wilderness, when we enter into that, we sort of assume that we have exited the presence of God or the nearness of God. Like because the circumstances have gone awry, because they've gone south, there's something in our human nature that says, well, if my circumstances are bad, then I must have left God or God left me, one of the two. And so that's sort of the way we think. And yet when you look at the Bible and you open up its pages, you see almost the opposite story being told. We associate wilderness with abandonment. And yet when we read the Bible over and over again, it's in the wilderness where people actually hear God the most. It's where God speaks the most. So this series is an attempt for us to adjust our understanding around these two ideas. First, that God is speaking and that he can be heard. And then secondly, that he actually might be heard more clearly when we are in those wilderness seasons of our lives. Which brings us to our text today. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 19. 
Uh, as you might have guessed, Exodus chapter 19 is a narrative from the Old Testament, second book in the Old Testament. Uh, it's a narrative where the people of Israel, they're experiencing God in the wilderness. In fact, just so you understand the background of the history, if you're new to the Bible, um, the people of Israel, they were enslaved for hundreds of years in the land of Egypt. They were liberated. Moses was their liberator in this moment. He was the prophet who God used to bring them out. And now they find themselves in the wilderness, in Exodus chapter 19. And, and they have all of these encounters with God through this process, but this one is very significant. And we're going to see three things today as we unpack this. First of all, we're going to see a moment in the wilderness, and the key word is moment. We're going to see a reminder in the wilderness, and again, the key word is reminder. And then we're going to see a vision in the wilderness, and that's the third part of this. So a moment, a reminder, and a vision. We're going to walk through this passage and see these three things. If you're taking notes, I suggest maybe you jot some of those down. But first, a moment in the wilderness Let's start with verse 1 of chapter 19. It says this. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel camped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell all of the people. And then he's going to continue and tell them some things. But I want to pause right here and unpack this first part. So I want you to notice something. When we open up to chapter 19, the people of Israel have been in the wilderness for three months at this point. Twelve weeks of being in the wilderness. Then they go to Mount Sinai. There they set up camp. And that's when Moses goes up on the mountain. Now, because, uh, because of the language barrier, because of the cultural things that are taking place here, we kind of have a two-sentence summary of something that is really significant and really practical as it relates to us. We miss something crucial that's taking place. This, this is stated really matter-of-factly, like, well, they, they camped out, and then Moses went up and met with God on a mountain. It was just, that's the way it went. But there is far more going on here. Moses has made a decision in the wilderness. Moses has made the decision to pursue a moment with God. Let me, let me just un unpack this a little bit further. If you study ancient cultures, you discover that there are some similarities as it relates to their habits of worship. Uh, whether it's Mayans, whether it's Egyptians, Sumerians, Babylonians, you see the similar structure that many of them construct in their houses of worship. They have, uh, in Egypt, they have pyramids. In other cultures, they're ziggurats. All of these things are built as a part of their worship practices, and these things are pointing to something, right? They elevate man to a certain point, but they also mimic something in nature. All of them are mimicking mountains because just about every ancient culture felt that there was something holy or unique or special about the mountains. It was the mountaintop. In fact, if a culture didn't build ziggurats, they held actual mountains as holy, and that's where they would encounter God. That was part of the cultural practice. If you're going to meet with God, God, it's going to be on top of some sort of mountain. That's where God dwells in their mind. So I want you to imagine this if you're Moses. You've reluctantly agreed to be this leader that's going to lead a people out of slavery. You witness God miraculously deliver them out of this place. And now you find yourself in a desert. You're in a desert. And while you're there, if you, if you look at the chapters preceding chapter 19, there's a moment where God provides water. There's a moment where God provides manna. There's a moment where God provides meat. There's a little skirmish with some people called the Amalekites that they win. And then when you get to chapter 18, 
Basically, you have Moses dealing with disputes and arguments among the people. Like he becomes a a judge that's discerning all these answers to people's disputes and arguments while they're now fighting in the desert. So, So there hasn't been much conversation with God. And for Moses or you, if you're in his shoes, it's just you and a few hundred thousand friends in this newly formed wilderness refugee camp. That's what you have. And then we come to chapter 19. So let me ask you this question. If that was you, what would you do? If you were in this situation, you'd walk to this point, you're in the wilderness, you're with these people, now you're just sort of eating the manna and hanging out in the desert and you're settling people's arguments, what would you do? I know what I would do. I would say, God, what's next, right? Like, God, what do you have for us? I would want God to speak to me. If you were speaking to me before, if you led me to this, there would be this decision on my part to say, God, I think I need to hear from you again. I think I need you to speak to me again with all that's taken place. So go back to this culture. If you are Moses and you've lived in Egypt, you've been surrounded by the Sumerians all of your life, if you want to go meet with God, what do you do? You look for the tallest mountain and you go there, which interestingly enough, you look at the topography of this region on this side of the Red Sea that the people had just crossed over, the highest mountain in the region is Mount Sinai. It'd be like standing in Portland and saying, let's go to the tallest mountain around us. And we all look at Mount Hood and we go, let's go over there. That seems to be the place that we need to go. That's what Moses does. He leads the people to the base of Sinai because that is where In that culture, in that frame of reference, you find God. And then it says in verse 2, There Israel camped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. Moses goes up the mountain to hear from God in the wilderness. You realize there's, there's no indication that God ever said, Moses, I want to meet you on the mountain, and so bring the people to Sinai. No, this is Moses' decision. Out of his cultural understanding, Moses says, I'm gonna go to Sinai. God doesn't tell him to go there. In fact, these people held the high places as holy. Later on, God tells the people to destroy the high places because he actually dwells in the valley floor with the people. That's actually what God does later on. But Moses makes this decision, God, I want to meet with you. So I want you to imagine this. He goes for this hike, right? He looks at the people and says, you wait here, and he goes for a hike. And I just want you to imagine maybe some moment in your life when you found yourself doing this, there was some trail in the woods, there was some river that you could sit by, there was some mountain you could climb up to, and maybe you went there to that place and you said, Lord, I need to hear from you. I need you to to whisper something. I I need to know something. And so you found yourself maybe wandering in this place, listening for God's voice, That's what Moses is doing. He looks at the people and says, you guys hang out here. I got to go hear from God. And he creates this moment. You can imagine him saying, Lord, speak to me. Show me, meet with me in this place. And then we read verse three, the Lord called to him out of the mountain. Moses pursues God and God responds. And he says, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel. So God responds because Moses makes a moment in the wilderness, which is really important as it relates to our own wilderness experiences. See, it's not just like you get into the wilderness and then, and then you just say, well, I guess God's gonna show up out here. Now I'm in these horrible circumstances. I guess at some point he's gonna speak to me. Moses moves towards God in the wilderness. He inquires. He creates this opportunity for dialogue. He says, God, I know you're here. I know that you've brought us to this place for a reason. I know I'm not alone, and so let me hear your voice. Speak to me in this. This is not wilderness for wilderness sake. 
So what does that mean? That means if we find ourselves in a wilderness, some sort of season that's unexpected, something where it feels sort of barren and dry, like the plot took a twist that we didn't expect, you have a couple of choices. You can sit around and lament and wonder, like, how did we get here? And where did I go wrong? And what did I do? And what should I have done differently? Or you can assume that you've been brought to this place so that you'd pursue God. I remember, you know, months and months ago, I'm done counting months since the pandemic started. Anybody else done with this? I don't know. Whenever this thing started, right? I remember when it first started and we were kind of shut down and they said, you can't leave your home. I, uh, I stuck it to the man I got in my car and I went for a drive. How about that for being rebellious? It was like a couple weeks into this whole thing and I, and I went for this drive and I remember I got up to kind of a higher place or over our city and I, I remember just looking out, I was praying for our city. I was praying for the people in our community and and then on the way home, I was driving, and I know I've shared this with some of you before, but I was driving home, and as I was driving back to my house, I had this moment where I just said, I just had this realization, like, Lord, maybe there's something you want to do in me during this. And so I remember saying, like, Lord, whatever it is that you need me to hear during this season, whatever it is that you need to speak to me, I'm listening. Would you speak to me? And then I said this, and I'm sorry, I'm going to apologize for this. I said, and Lord, take as long as you need to take in order to teach me what I need to learn. So you have me to blame because I am a slow learner and apparently have not heard everything I need to hear. But I remember just praying that and it was a very sincere thing and it created this seismic shift inside of my own mind and, and it changed how I navigated the coming months. Now those months, I was looking for moments in this wilderness that I might hear God in ways that I would not have heard previous to that. I wanted to hear things that I'd not heard him say. I wanted to see things that he wanted me to see that I hadn't seen before. So, so you can be desperate and you can be alone in a wilderness. You can be angry in a wilderness. Or you can be confident in those seasons. You can be in communion with God in those seasons, learning new things and leaning in. So, so moments are available to us just like they were for Moses. Moses looked for a moment and he climbed the mountain. And I don't know what that mountain is for you. I don't know if it's gathering in a place like this. I don't know if it's a, a walk along a stream somewhere, if it's a true mountain for yourself. But Moses said, I'm going to do what I know to do so that I can hear the voice of God. Are you with me on this? Now let's continue reading. I'm glad three of you are with me, by the way. That's awesome. Thanks. Um, God meets Moses. I'm kidding. Uh, I know some of you just don't like saying things in church. That's fine. Verse 4. He says this, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation." These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. And then it says in verse 7, So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. And the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. So they make an agreement. And then it says, Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. So we talk about a moment in the wilderness. Now let's look at a reminder in the wilderness. And I want you to notice how God begins this conversation. This is really important. God begins this. When he tells Moses to go tell them what I want them to hear, he begins by reminding them of his grace and of his love. First thing he does, he reminds them of how he bore them up on eagles' wings. He tells them that they'll be a treasured possession, that they're a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And believe it or not, this has 
incredible significance and tells us something about our encounters or our experience or even our expectations of God when we're leaning in to hear from him. Let me just work through this for a moment. Um, God starts by saying, all the way back at the beginning of this, God starts by saying, I want you to trust me. I have a land that is flowing with abundance for you, right? And so he liberates these people and he takes them out of this land, but God leads them to a wilderness, literally leads them to a wilderness. They go down, and and, and in fact, just so you understand kind of where this is, and I have to think about this backwards right here, but if Egypt is is here, um, Palestine is here, this land flowing with milk and honey is here, and when the Lord leads them out of their slavery, he leads them south away from the promised land, down by the Red Sea. That's where the geography is taking place. And so he leads them out of this place. They cross the Red Sea, and now they're in a wilderness, and they're further away from the land of promise than when they began their entire journey. So God says, trust me, and then he takes them there. And Sinai, in the middle of this wilderness, is where God begins to speak to them again, which has bearing on our experience with God. I want to remind you of something that Bo said last week. She said this. She said, favorable circumstance is not the reward. Hearing God's voice is the reward. And that's what he's showing them. He brings them to this place. And the purpose in doing so is to reveal the goal is not abundance. The goal is abiding. The goal is not that you have everything you ever dreamed of. The goal is that you have a relationship with me, that you hear me and I hear you. That's what God says. He wants them to get this, but he also wants them to understand something else. And this is where this passage is so critical. It's the heart of this. I want you to notice the order in which he says this. I'm just gonna read it again. He says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. You remember what I did? So God says, you remember what I did for you? You remember what I did to you? Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for the earth is mine. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So you saw what I did for you. And then now, if you'll continue to listen to me, if you'll lean in and let me lead you, I have even more for you. By the way, The next chapter, chapter 20, God gives them the Ten Commandments and then begins to unpack the law for them. But this is hugely important for you to see. This is so significant for your faith. There are few things as significant as what I'm about to share with you. He is giving us the order in which he works and how we work with him. And it always, always starts with grace always begins with grace. So so look at this. He starts by reminding them, this is what I have done for you. I want you just to remember, you saw what I did for you. And so when God starts speaking, what's the first thing that they're hearing from God? Well, they're hearing God say, I love you. They're hearing God say, I believe in you. They're hearing God say, I have a plan for you. I have a purpose for you. That's what they're hearing from God. That's how God starts the conversation. And he always begins with grace. He always reminds us of his love. He says things like, I bore you up on eagle's wings. In other words, you got lifted out of your circumstances and you didn't have to lift a finger. You just, you simply, I mean, you think about this. They simply walked out of hundreds of years of slavery. They just wandered out of town one day. God says, I lifted you, I raised you up. 
This is important to hear because God didn't go to the people when they were enslaved and say, listen, I see you and I have a plan for your life, but I also have some rules and regulations. And here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna make a deal with you. If you for six months will obey all the rules and the regulations up to my standard, then I will liberate you. Then you will be my people. Then I will take you to this land. That's not what God does. And you understand how important this is. He simply rescues them. Before they ever lifted a finger, before they ever knew the law, before they ever did a thing to please him, he saves them like being raised up on eagle's wings. It is sheer grace. And then he says, okay, now that you know that I'm for you, now that you know that I rescued you, will you listen to me? Will you lean in? That sequence, that order is so important. See, if it was like you do the law and then you'll be delivered, we would translate, well, if you obey, then God will accept you. That's how we would translate that today. But since it's deliverance, And then the law, we instead translate this and say it this way, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. And that is the heart of the gospel. Do you realize that? I'm accepted because of Jesus. I've been rescued because of Jesus. And because of that, I lean into his loving voice for direction. That's what that means. And you look at this and you say, well, on the surface, these two people, if you had two people living these ways, they might not look that different. On the surface, they might both be doing the same kinds of activities. They might both be attending the same church. They might be engaging in the same kinds of things. But at the depths of who they are, there is a radical difference. A person who understands the gospel, a person who understands this sequence, will always be motivated by love, by gratitude. They've seen what God has done, and so everything they do is motivated from love and gratitude. But the other person, the person who says, I better obey if I want to be delivered, that person will forever be operating out of insecurity and fear. One operates in this place of love. The other is self-centered even. I mean, you ask somebody who's operating out of this, I have to obey to be accepted, and you say, well, why are you doing these things? Why are you obeying? Press them to answer this question, and they'll say things like, well, ultimately, it's to get things, right? Because if I do this, then God will do that. And so what we admit to when we're living that way is that we're trying to manipulate God into blessing us with our behavior. Not only that, our our obedience in that system is always conditional, Whenever I've I've spoken with somebody, maybe you've heard somebody say this, maybe you've said this. I I know there's a season in my life where I absolutely said this. I've been doing everything I'm supposed to do. (laughs) I'm self-controlled. I'm going to church. I'm generous. I'm serving people. And God, why aren't you blessing me? In fact, sometimes you've heard somebody say this, God, you're not, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do and you're not blessing me. And then there's Kevin and he's not doing anything you told him to do and you're blessing him. Why are you blessing Kevin and you're not blessing me? Right? Sorry, Kevin. Kevin does a lot of good stuff. Just don't, don't, yeah, he's a great guy. He's a great guy. But have you ever thought that? Have you ever felt that way? That's born out of that religious heart. That's born out of that, if I obey, then God will accept me. But a person who already knows what they have, a person who already understands what they've received, who's experienced grace, who understands the chasm that God crossed to rescue us, that person just simply lives out of this love and appreciation. 
Which, by the way, explains something that I think a lot of modern people um, wrestle with in the Old Testament. A lot of people, you hear people say things, well, I like the God of the New Testament, but I don't like the God of the Old Testament. And if you keep reading in Exodus chapter 19, there's this moment when God meets the people, meets Moses on the mountain and the people are watching and there is like clouds of smoke and there is thunder and there is lightning and the ground is trembling and the people are trembling and they say things to Moses like, you go up and meet with them, we don't want to meet with them. And you sort of scratch your head and say, God, why do you do that? Why do you on one hand rescue them on eagle's wings and then come to them with this show of force and intimidate them? What is this all about? Here's why. Human beings, we tend, people of faith, we tend to land in in one of two extremes. If we are just as we've talked about, trying to obey in order to earn God's acceptance, to earn his favor, if that's where we're living, then we have all of these rules and regulations. We live legalistically. We live by the law and we're bound by this and we're just white knuckling our life, just trying to do everything the right way. And that's one end of the spectrum for people. But at the other end of the spectrum, there are people that say this, well, I look at the gospel and I look at Jesus and I see the cross and I've been forgiven. Everything in the New Testament says that I've been forgiven completely, that there's nothing that I've done to earn this. There's nothing I've done to deserve this, which means I am completely forgiven. And so there's this end of license, right? We have legalism and then we have license where we say, it really doesn't matter what I do because God forgives me anyways. Now, this may be true, But this person's missing out on a significant truth, and it's this. There is a difference between receiving forgiveness and observing grace. The person who's received forgiveness also needs to observe grace. We need to observe how far did God have to go to actually redeem me? How far? Because when I see the chasm, when I see the distance, when I understand his holiness, when there is smoke on the mountain and thunder and the ground is shaking and I have this deep sense of knowing who the God of the universe is and then simultaneously understanding that he rescued me out of my place and forgave me, there is a sense of awe and appreciation and love that that is derived in my heart in that moment. It's the same reason why when we look at a cross, it inspires something inside of us that says, I am loved to that extent. It took that for me to be redeemed. And that creates this dynamic of grace in our life where we are drawn to the Father because we understand what he's done for us. We have to observe grace. We have to see it for what it is. And then once we do, we begin to live a different sort of way. We we lean in and we listen and we say, Tell me what to do next. Show me how to live. You've already shown me how much you love me. Now show me how to live. In these circumstances, notice what they're told. God basically says, if if you lean in, um, you're going to be who I created you to be. And he tells them three things. He says that you'll be my treasured possession, you'll be a kingdom of priests, and you'll be a holy nation. So, So three things. And I just want you to think about what he's saying to them. First of all, the Hebrew phrase for treasured possession, it speaks to the intimate private ownings of an individual. In a world where kings owned everything, that word refers to the things that a person might have in their home that were their own personal wealth that the king really didn't have authority over. The Lord says, you will be my treasured possession. You will be a kingdom of priests. That's a loaded one. Because to these people, the the role of a priest was to mediate, right? 
The role of a priest was to take an average everyday Joe and let that person encounter or experience God. And God looks at them and says, listen, if you keep leaning into this grace dynamic with, that, with me, you will become a kingdom of priests, which means you, the places that you go and the way you live your life, you will show people who God really is. That person who's living legalistically and religiously, what are they going to show people? They're going to show people that God's all about rules and regulations, and he's unforgiving and bitter and angry, and all those different things. But he's saying, if you are a person who lives out of this abundance of grace, you're actually going to show people the true nature and character of God. You will be like a priest in the world showing people what God is like, and you will be a holy nation, he says. That word holy, we often think of pure, and it's true, but it's equally about purpose. It's Purity and purpose. You will be a people with a purpose. There's a reason for you being here. You, when you lean into this grace, there'll be a purpose to your life. Which leads us to the third and final point of this, a vision in the wilderness. We don't often read it this way, but the Ten Commandments followed by the law was actually a vision statement you know, some, some of your businesses, maybe you have a mission statement, a vision statement. Uh, the Ten Commandments is a vision statement. If you look at cultures at this time and you look at the way that people were living towards each other, it was barbaric. The way that human beings treated each other, the way that human beings thought about God, the way that they navigated life. The Ten Commandments was revolutionary. It was this picture of human flourishing. Like what if there were a people who somehow found a way to live like this with God and live with each other? When Moses came down with these 10 commandments, when Moses came down with the law, there was a, a picture that was being painted of, you don't have to live this way anymore. It was a vision, it was a change, it was, it was something dynamic. And Moses, we refer to Moses as a prophet. When you read the New Testament, Moses is called a prophet. And you say, well, why is that? Well, it's because he was part of a prophetic religion. And let me just explain. Of faith systems, there are essentially two kinds of faith systems. There are prophetic faith systems and there are mystical faith systems. Prophetic faith systems are, are, are described as people who have an authentic encounter with God and then out of that encounter with God return to their places of life and they work to make a better world in God's name. That's what prophetic means versus mystical, which is basically I'm going to go have an encounter with God and the purpose of it is sort of some spiritual escapism. Like I'm doing this just so I can get away from that nasty, ugly world that's out there and just sort of forget about my problems for a moment. Let me just tell you, Christianity is a prophetic faith. We are, there, there are mystical dynamics to our faith, but we are a prophetic faith. The purpose of us gathering in a place like this for watching sermons online like this is not so that we can escape for just a moment and pretend it's all not out there. The purpose is so that we might go up the mountain, receive something from the Lord, and then return again to a world that needs people who have been touched by the divine. Are you with me on this? That's what we exist for, to shape the world, to move in the world. That's what Moses is doing. Moses goes up the mountain, he encounters God, and he comes down, and there is this vision of a future that is different. Because you don't leave the wilderness the same way you came into this. You leave the wilderness differently than you entered it. You leave the wilderness, and you have you have created moments in which you have heard from God and you have been reminded of his profound grace in your life. And when God has spoken, let me just tell you this, over and over again when God speaks, it isn't just for you. 
It's so that through you, the people around you might experience him and be changed. Amen? Would you stand with me? I need to say something else. Just to be very clear. If you hear from God and it doesn't start with I love you, I see you, I have a plan for you, if it doesn't start with grace, that's not God's voice you're hearing. Amen? When God speaks to you, he's going to start by reminding you of his grace and his love. He's wooing you so that you'll listen to him. So let me offer the benediction today. If you'd receive it, you can hold out your hands if you're comfortable. May you be men and women who create moments in the wilderness. And may you hear God speak. And may you listen for his voice. And when he speaks, may you have the courage to trust his voice and act on what he tells you in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thanks, everybody. We love you guys so much. Dads, happy Father's Day. I know half of you are going to be staying at a barbecue grill the rest of the day. Enjoy it. We're going to continue on next week of this series. I'll be back next week, and we will see you guys then. See you later. Have a great day.